Hello and welcome to the Sacred City Life podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean, a pastor of Sacred City Church in Davenport, Iowa. And the Sacred City Life podcast is a podcast about following Jesus in the normal, everyday rhythms of life. And this is episode number 21, and we're going to be discussing the boy crisis and a rite of passage. Now, our topic today is kind of coming from a book that I've recently read um, called The Boy Crisis, Why Our Boys Are Struggling and What We Can Do About It. Now, this just to let you know, this podcast is primarily going to be for parents, uh, mothers and fathers, um, and it might be bringing some awareness to you. You might not be aware that there is a boy crisis. I honestly, when I picked this book up, it came um, highly recommended, but I kind of didn't, wasn't really aware of quote unquote, a, a boy crisis. Um, our main, the mainstream media is kind of obsessed in, a, in one sense with girls. You constantly are hearing about um, the kind of the plight of, of women not that there's anything wrong with uh, we want we want um, you know equality in a lot of in a lot of areas every area in a sense we um, but uh, we I hear about struggling women I hear about issues of on campus for women issues of pay with women issues of inequality with women and um, honestly if I was just going to take the cultural narrative at face value I would think that our women. Um, are experiencing a lot of problems and a lot of pain and a lot of difficulty. And um, men are just kind of crushing it. Well, this book reveals that the opposite is actually true. Now, just so you know, this isn't written by some far-right weirdo or something. It's written two authors. One, John Gray, uh, he's PhD. Now, he's famously wrote the book, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. I'm not going to talk too much about this guy. But the other guy is this guy named Warren Farrell. He's a PhD. Uh, he's written numerous books. And he has been uh, chosen by the Financial Times as one of the top, the world's top 100 thought leaders. He's currently the chair of commission uh, to create a White House Council on Boys and Men. Now, what's interesting, now listen to this. He's the only man in the United States to have been elected three times to the board of the National Organizational for Women in New York City. And this is, I think, under, it was under Clinton and it was under Obama. Uh, he started more than 300 men and women's groups and he's just written all kinds of stuff. He's been on Oprah, he's been on Today, Good Morning America, uh, a PhD, very knowledgeable. Now this book is so thick, but about a third of it is footnotes. So it's very well researched and... Um, it's just got a lot of interesting stuff going on. And just let me let me share you share some statistics with you from the boy crisis before I get into kind of what I really want to talk about towards the end, and that's the rite of passage for boys. Here's some current statistics. Boys are 50% less likely than girls to meet basic proficiency in reading, math, and science. Listen to this. As boys become men, their suicide rates go from equal to girls to six times that of young women. So I think it's, it was ages like 21 to 24 or 24 to 28. 
they're six times more likely to commit suicide than females. Now listen, just in my lifetime, U.S. jail and prison population increased by more than 700%. Now out of that increase, that 700% increase over the last 40 years, 93% of those incarcerated are male. Here's another one. In one generation, young men have gone from 61% of college grads to 39%. Hear that. In one generation, men used to be 61% of college grads. Now they're 39. That means women are far surpassing men, 61% to 39% as college grads right now. However, boys are expelled from school three times as often as girls. Right now, girls make up 70% of valedictorians, while boys, 70% of D's and F's. Now, this is just a handful. He's literally got whole chapters on these statistics, and there's so many more I could bombard you with, but I didn't want to go into a complete review of this book. Um, let me hear. Let me let me read one quote from this book, in a chapter uh, or a section that he calls the purpose void. So young boys are they're void of purpose these days because um, there's no. Well, let me just read the quote. If your son is feeling a purpose void, but unable to articulate what he is feeling, and simultaneously hearing in school and on the news that he has all the power and privilege and is the reason women were held back, he may withdraw into the video games and video porn that can distract him from his frustration and alienation. Now, that is an interesting statement. He's saying um, these young boys, many of them growing up in broken homes with with, with um, distant fathers, many fathers, some fathers coming back from war, and so they're kind of emotionally damaged, so they're not that engaged. Or maybe they have workaholic fathers who are out working, but they're not really engaged at home. Um, I could go on and on and on, but he's saying they're growing up with a purpose void. They don't know what they're for, okay? They don't know what they're for, and... They don't so, and then they're hearing from the news and from school and from all kind of areas from our culture that there's some something toxic about masculinity, and that there's some and they're somehow to blame for the subjugation of women in our past, and they should feel guilty about even being a boy or being a man, and therefore they don't know they don't know what game they're playing, they don't know how to win, how it's scored, and so what do they do? They throw themselves into video games and they throw themselves into video porn and they become more and more and more addicted. And men are far more likely or boys are far more likely to grow up into men who move back in with their parents, live in their parents' basement, and they don't really know what to do with their life because they don't know what they're for. Now, I could go on and on. There's so many different statistics in this book that are fascinating, uh, deeply concerning, um, about about men, um, their in their careers and how often they're they're bouncing around from job to job, how often they're dropping out of college, um, 
there's a lot of concerning statistics, and I just want to kind of draw our attention to it. Most of you are probably not going to read this book. It's fairly extensive. It's pretty, I mean, I'm going to look it up here. It's almost 500 pages. It's almost 500 pages. Um, but if you're interested in a more detailed review of this book, uh, may, send me an email, send me a message, and maybe I'd, I'd be willing to, to give that. Um, they've got a lot of really good stuff in here also. Um, and, and they've got some weird stuff too. So basically he kind of takes a feminist approach. He is a feminist and he takes his feminist approach. And basically he says, we need to kind of feminize men. So men were used to going to war and giving up their life. And that is what they were for. And they're being the sole breadwinner. And that was what they were for. And so therefore they could, um, they could give their life and die for the family. And they were good at that. And now he's kind of saying, well, women can go out and make money and they can make a lot of money. And so men aren't really, they don't really need to do that anymore. So they need to learn to do something that doesn't damage their body, that doesn't kill them. Um, Men are, the statistic was very high, um, how often men die because of their job, Um, not just during their job, but after their job. So firemen, EMT, um, you know, medics, uh, police officers, military officers, and people in the military, high-stress CEOs, finance, all of these high-stress jobs that um, demand a lot. Um, Sometimes they lose their life in those jobs, but more often than not, they commit suicide after the fact. And um, it's a hard way to, they don't really have a a clean way to track how many of those people are committing suicides, but um, the statistics are really high, and it's like... um, one of the statistics was more men in the UK have died by suicide since 1946, or maybe no, last year died by then than all the wars since 1946. It, it's just some insane uh, statistics in there. Uh, suicide is an epidemic, and they give kind of uh, they basically say, okay, we need to teach them emotional health. We need to teach them emotional maturity. We need to teach them how to have relationships. They don't have to they don't have to die for people and do crazy jobs like that. But the, the, the process for teaching them how to be men, he outlines very normal things that uh, we're talking about consistently at Sacred City um, that are in the biblical tradition that are passed down to us, things like family dinners. And not just eating together as often as you can, but um, which does matter, but also having conversations around the dinner table, drawing your child out through questions. And uh, if he says something crazy, don't just squash it, but draw him out. Well, what's your reasoning behind that? Why do you think that? Um, what did your friend say at school? What kind of friends should you have? Um, is that a good friend? Just all kind of things like that. There's some really helpful stuff in the book. Um, some of the other things they talked about is encouraging our sons to be a human being and not a human doing. So reward him, tell him he has value as a person and not just because he got good grades or because um, he's great at sports and don't demean him because he turns the ball over or he strikes out and don't tell him he's worthless because, you know, of these things. Um, He talk about the importance of sports and organized sports, team sports, individual sports, that they learn to win and they learn to lose. They learn how to be a team player, learn how to have... um, self-discipline, all of these things are important for kids. Um, they need to have emotional intelligence and, and teach them how to identify their emotions and how to deal with those emotions in healthy ways and not just stuff them all the time. 
Uh, obviously, the importance of having a healthy father is of prime importance. A father who is engaged emotionally, engaged physically, relationally, that they can see a father who has friends, a father who has relationships, a father who we would say loves God, serves the church, repents of his sin, disciples his children. And then the, the importance of roughhousing in play, that a boy needs physical touch and boys um, in this day and age are starved of physical touch. Um, everything is digital for them. Um, many of them are playing video games nonstop. They're not wrestling. They're not playing football. They're not, um, the, the statistics and the number of, of boys playing athletics is far down from in the, in the past. Even as the amount spent on specialization and all these different camps is going up, you have basically a smaller number of people playing more sports and there's not as many boys. And so they're starved of touch. They don't get hugs. They don't get roughhousing. Um, they don't know how to, and, and we all need physical affection. And so um, there's an importance to roughhousing and wrestling with your boys. And I would say your girls too. My daughters love, love to wrestle. Now, all of this that I'm learning and reading and studying and finding interesting that there's a manhood crisis because there's a boyhood crisis. Um, and it's kind of cyclical because many of us grew up without a father who was present or without a father who discipled us. And so we don't know how to disciple our kids. Some of us just went off to war, found our, um, you know, our uh, dads in the military or as our bosses or as our coaches. And we don't really know how to bring that home with our kids. And so we don't put that much importance. We don't know how to father. And so there's this cycle that can continue to go on. Um, but for us, for Christians who've had God adopt us into our family and uh, reparent us, it's important that we stop the cycle and we start a new cycle of investing in our boys and, you know, counteracting this boyhood crisis. There should be no boyhood crisis in the church, that's for sure. The culture of the church should reverse what's going on in the culture that's outside of us. Um, so the boys that grow up in our church should grow up um, in a different way, in a healthy way, and they grow up and they're going to learn how to be leaders and examples and um, um, men who know how to to kind of take back a piece of the culture. So all of that I'm learning kind of coalesced and, and kind of combined with another podcast I listened to, and I'll just say it's episode number 505 of the Art of Manliness podcast, and it was about a man's need for rituals. And Every society in, in history has, been, has had rituals uh, for um, life, a lot of different rituals. Um, going to church is a bit of a ritual. Um, what you do on Thanksgiving is a bit of a ritual. Christmas, a bit of a ritual. Um, but every society also has a ritual. And you go back and listen to that uh, podcast. It's really insightful. Um, it's really helpful. You could say ritual. We could even say liturgy, have liturgies that are meant to shape us from the outside in. So here's one, one way to think about it. We make decisions cognitively. Uh, we use our reason. We use our intellect to determine what we value, to determine what's important with us. But we, we can't, you, we don't operate off of reason all the time. Okay. Think about your drive to work. You're not thinking about, okay, I need to stay in between this lane. Okay, I need to take the third exit. Okay, I need to go the speed limit. Okay, I need to turn right here. Most of the time, while you're driving there, 
you're on quote unquote autopilot. You're just habitually going through it. It's a ritual. You get in the car, you know how to get to the, your job, and your reason is actually on something else. You're thinking about a problem at work, you're thinking about an issue at home, you're thinking about something happened in your missional community. So your intellect and your reason's working on a different level. Now what's interesting, um, Pascal talked about this in his Pensies, that what we need to do as humans is we need to decide what's important to us in our with our reason and make good decisions. Okay, I want to lose weight. Okay, I want to be a, hu- a godly husband. Okay, I want to be a godly wife. Okay, I want to be. Uh, I want to go to church. We make these decisions, but then we put rituals in our life, or liturgies in our life, or habits in our life that enable that to happen where we don't have to think about it anymore. We don't have to decide: Am I going to get up at six a.m.? Well, yes, I am. That's my alarm's going off. You know, my, my clothes are laid out, the coffee's made, boom. I'm, I'm, it's, I don't even have to think about it anymore. It's a ritual. And what happens is our rituals shape us, and our rituals keep us going in the way that we have chosen, uh, when, and we don't have to think about it as much. We don't have to cognitively make a decision. Every, it's exhausting to use your willpower every single moment of every day. Should I drink this? Should I not? Should I eat this? Should I not? Should I go to work? Should I not? Should I be nice? Should I not? Should I read my Bible? Should I not? Should, you know, we shouldn't have to, we should have a liturgy and rituals to shape us into that. And that kind of backs up what we've decided um, with our intellect and our wisdom. And uh, so we don't, I don't, you know, I don't make a decision every night. Am I going to eat dinner with my family? It's a ritual. We're automatically doing it at least five nights a week. We're eating dinner at the dinner table and we're going to take 20 to 30 minutes at least around the dinner table. We're going to do liturgy. We're going to do catechism. We're going to read a Bible story. We're going to ask kids about their day. It's just going to happen, okay? Now, what's interesting is every culture, almost every culture in, in, our, in the past from around the world has had a ritual or a rite of passage for boys to step into manhood, um, there's a tribe in Kenya called the Maasai, and I saw these people are still around. They carry big spears. They've got a big fancy garb. I actually bought my son a club and a shield from them when I was over in Kenya. And the Maasai, they have a very intense um, process where a boy goes from to be a manhood. It involves literally killing a lion with other with other men. Uh, if you're thinking of if you think of Israel and the and the and um, you know, the Hebrew faith, the Jewish faith, they have a bar mitzvah. And a bar mitzvah happens when a young man turns 13, and there's all kind of rituals that go on in that. And it's a moment in a boy's life where he can say, okay, I'm stepping into manhood. I'm leaving behind my boyhood ways. And what's interesting, in our culture today, we don't have that. Um, this is one of the reasons they've, we've talked about having, you know, a prolonged adolescent Adolescents, we've got, you know, 18-year-old, 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds still living in their parents' house, still on mom and dad's insurance, still, you know, it's just kind of prolonged. And so adolescents just rolled into young adulthood, young adulthood's pushed back, and now everything's pushed back where, where men are just maturing a lot later. Um, well, this podcast talks about how important rituals are in our life, in the life of manhood, of becoming a man. And I've been praying about it, thinking a lot about it. And um, so I wanted to um, create a rite of passage for my son. My son was was turning 13, and I heard 
about some other pastors doing some things like this or other men doing some things for this for their boy to, to kind of help their boy um, make wise decisions and grow into manhood. Um, and here, here's a couple things that, that boys need, okay? Um, boys need a target to aim for. So they need to, they need to know what is, what am I for, right? Like, what should I be doing? What kind of man should I become? What character traits should I be developing, right? Uh, we don't just throw a label like, hey, well, one time I went out with my son and we had a dad date and I talked about what kind of man do you want to be? And he said, a good one. <laughs> I said, okay, what does that mean? He's like, well, like a good Christian man. I'm like, okay, what do you mean by that? Um, we want We want more than just, I want my kids to love Jesus, or I want my kids to pray a prayer and be baptized and be in church so they go to heaven when they die. No, no, no. That is so low of a bar. We want much, much more for our children and for our our young boys. We want them to be godly. We want them to have certain character traits, right? We want them to be good at something. We want them to be very competent in their in a career field or whatever they choose to do. We want them to be compassionate and and protect the weak and care for those who are less fortunate. We want to be men with big hearts, right? And strong backs. We want um, them to have courage to be able to say hard things and speak hard things when they need to. And, and, and if they need to jump in front of a bus, they can, or if they need to take a bullet, they can, or if they need to uh, stand up to a bully, they can. We want them to be men of conviction that they know the truth and they stand on the truth and they're willing to give their life for the truth. So these are just some aspects of, you know, you're, we're painting a picture of what we want our boys to aim for. Secondly, uh, boys need godly examples to emulate and to be around. Now, we can teach our kids about character all we want, but if they don't see it in action, um, they, they'll miss it, right? This is, manhood is caught as much as it's taught. And so it's important that our boys get around other godly men, see men be friends, see them ban- have, you know, some godly banter among them and joke with each other. And, you know, some, uh, I think it was Will Ferrell that says that, uh, friends greet each other with an insult or true friends greet each other with an insult. There's something ma- masculine about that. We like to joke with one another, but we also can, um, pray with one another, care for, with one another, uh, and support one another. So it's important that, that our sons have more than just us to emulate more than just athletes on a television screen to emulate, more than just coaches. They need godly men around them. Third, our boys need to hear exactly what the Father said to Jesus at Jesus' baptism. If you remember, Jesus' baptism, he goes under the water, he comes up, the heaven opens, and a voice says, God says, in front of everyone, this is my son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, this is before Jesus has done any miracles. He hasn't done any ministry. He hasn't, of course, died on the cross, arose from the dead. And the Father says, this is my son. It's an identity. It's identity language. In whom I'm well pleased. So the Father is identifying with the Son, and he's saying, I am pleased in you, Jesus. You bring pleasure to me. I'm happy to be your father. Now, our sons need that. Now, you might say, hey, hey, well, yeah, God said that because that's Jesus. You know, I I would say it to my son more often too, if my son was Jesus. 
Well, I get it. Our sons are not perfect. Our sons are frustrating. Our sons are immature. All of our sons are fools growing into wisdom. Let's hope and pray by the grace of God. They have a lot of foolishness that needs to be driven out. They're frustrating. They ask a million questions. They poke fun at their sisters. They they do all kinds of things that just aggravate us and get us on our nerves. And so in a lot of ways, there's not there's not a lot to find commendable sometimes in our sons. We really have to search for evidences of grace. But here's the reality. If you wait for your son to be like Jesus, <laughs> you're never going to compliment them. You're never going to identify with them. You're never going to be pleased with them. And when you're tempted to say, well, my son's so frustrating and he's so not like Jesus, your son has every right to look at you and go, well, you know what? You're so much not like God. You're so much not like the father. So he may, he's no Jesus, but you're no father, right? So that when we're pointing a finger at him, we got three pointing back at us. We are so far from the Father. We are not gracious. We don't have eyes of grace or gospel eyes to see the tiny slivers of growth and light and wisdom and the Spirit working in our sons. That we we need to be we need to be able to be CSI detectives when it comes to that kind of stuff and see every fingerprint of God's grace in their life and call attention to it and say, "Man, I can tell God's at work in you. I can tell the Spirit's helped you." in school today or when you responded to your sister or the way you obeyed your mother or the way you did those chores. And we need to commend it and we need to say, man, I love you um, and I'm, I'm well pleased with you. So now these are some big principles that, that we've got going on. Let me, get, let me make this really practical for us. So we've got a boyhood crisis in our society. Um, we've got a manhood crisis. We've got a kind of a fatherless ep- ep- epidemic. And we need to do something about that. And so one of the ways that I think we need to do about that, I think obviously we need everything we've talked about in the past about family dinners and being an engaged father and discipling our children and all these things. Amen. Here's one specific area that I think we need to focus on. I think we need to develop a gospel-centered rite of passage for our boys. And I, I think for our girls too, um, I'm going to describe the rite of passage that I put together for my son Javin that we did this last week that I'm, I, it went, it went amazing. I was blown away by it. Um, but I've already started talking to my wife about developing one for my daughter and maybe my wife would run that and she would put it together and other women in her life. So I wanted to, I wanted to counter, I want to push against this boyhood crisis and I want to, um, create this liturgy or this ritual, um, this rite of passage for my son. And so all week last week, he was going up into his 13th birthday. I just said, hey man, big, you're going to be a teenager this week. It's a big deal coming up. It's a big deal, brother. Said, I know, dad, I know. I said, no, man. I don't. You know, we, we, we talk about manhood a lot, but I'm like, hey, I've been joking with him. You know, like four more days of foolishness, bro. That's it. You only got two more days to be an immature. All right, man. You know, I just we all week long, like four, one more day to be a kid. Uh, and so, um, you know, just kind of building it up, building it up. Well, then on his birthday, I, um, I picked him up from school and I, I didn't tell him anything about it. I picked him up from school. The girls try to get in. I'm like, no, no, your mom's picking you up, girl. Sorry. Love you. Got to do, do something with Javin. And he's like, what are we doing? I'm like, oh, you know, you'll see. What are we doing, dad? I said, oh, you know, we got something to do. Dad, and he, I'd been building it up, you know, he's like, what are we doing? Are you going to drop me off in the middle of the woods and make me find my way home? <laughs> I'm like, well, that's a good idea, but no, I'm not going to do that. 
I was, you know, just kind of joking with him, um, messing with him. I said, you know, I told you, son, you, you, it's first day of manhood, first day of manhood today. So, uh, you know, I got you your first job. Your dad called in a favor down at Nestle. And, uh, you know, that's where my dad worked for 39 years in a factory. I said, so we got you a job there. You're going to start providing for the family, buddy. So start giving back. Time to give back. Shut up, dad. No, no, no. You know, and he's just thinking. He's sitting there quiet. And we're driving. Dad, are you going to make me preach? <laughs> I said, I just cracked up. I'm like, what? You got a sermon ready? No. I said, well, you better get one ready. Dad, don't make me preach. I'm like, I'm not going to make you preach. We went and picked up a cup of coffee because we had a little bit of time to kill. And then I took him to my office. And I had already called um, four men that I respect, four of, uh, four, just so happens to be four of our elders. And I had chosen what I called the five C's of manhood. And I asked each one of these men to speak on that subject for about five minutes, um, say why it was important in the life of a man, show, uh, share a scripture, show how Jesus modeled that character trait or that aspect of manhood, and then call Javin into that aspect of, of manhood. Now, the five C's that I chose were... Um, Conviction, that's what I spoke on, knowing the truth and then being willing to stand up to the truth. <clears throat> so knowing what you believe and <clears throat> having a backbone. Um, character, I asked um, Pastor Rob Spikstra to speak on that one. Compassion, I asked my dad to speak on that one. Um, competency, learning how to be good at something and work hard at something become expert at something. I asked Dr. Alex, Pastor Alex, to, to speak on that one. And <clears throat> courage, I asked uh, Pastor Sam Schmidt to speak on that one. <clears throat> so I've all got this set up. They're all at the office already. We pull up <clears throat> and Javin starts walking in. Dad, what is this? Are you taking me to a meeting? What is this? And I said, oh, yeah, it's a meeting. It's a meeting. Why am I going to a meeting? Is it for me? I'm like, yes, it is for you. He's getting nervous. He walks into this room. He sees these four men and myself, so five men in there. One of them is his headmaster, uh, four pastors, or all five pastors. And at the table, there's a page printed out. says the five C's of manhood, which each, each of those words on it, I have him sit down at the table. And I just kind of open up and talk about today's an important day, son. Today's the day where... You're taking the first step into manhood. Um, you're leaving childhood behind. Uh, you're leaving some childish ways behind. And this is an important um, turning point for you. And I want you to grow into a man who loves God, who loves others, who has all the five of these traits. And at this time, so what, what I'm doing here, and then I said, listen, and these I've asked these men to be here because these men are men that I want you to be like. These men have the traits that I'm calling you into in some fashion. We're not perfect in any of them, but these are men who I want you to aspire to be like. These are men that are, God has placed in your life that I want you to look up to. And if you have a question, you can go to these men. And, and then I gave him a coin. And on this coin, it's kind of an octagonal looking coin. And it's a copper coin. And it's 
on one side it said um, uh, in Latin it said memento mori, which and it's got this cool skull with you know a cool skull on it. And it says that what it means remember death in Latin, and my son takes Latin, um, so it says uh, remember death. And I talked about uh, about the importance of living with the end in mind and living with eternity in mind and living for God because we're all mortal and we're all going to die and everything, um, everything not done for God is a waste basically. And all, you know, money, possessions, power, all of it is a waste without God. And then on the other side of the coin, it says memento vivere, and it means remember life in Latin and, or remember to live. And so the, the purpose is I want you to live this life in light of your death, in light of eternity. Uh, I want you to live this life for the glory of God. Um, and and then I, I spoke into his life and shared some scripture about conviction and knowing the truth, and the truth will set you free, and Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and nothing's more important than that. And then um, Pastor Rob spoke on character and the life of Jesus and called Javin to character, and Javin was just staring at Rob and just, locked in and listen, hanging on every word. And then my dad spoke on compassion and my dad's very compassionate man and, um, called Javin to love people like Jesus and love his sisters and love the weak. And, um, and then, uh, Dr. Alex, pastor Alex talked about, um, competency and Javin's like, what is competency? And Alex defined it and, talked about doing hard things and putting a lot of effort in and being good at something and working hard and being competent, whatever it is that God's called him to do, to to protect and to um, produce and to provide from Genesis and showed it in the life of Jesus. And and then uh, Pastor Sam talked about the importance of courage and basically, in one sense, courage is the most important virtue because it's the it's the virtue, it's every other virtue at, at its testing point. So, um, you know, basically courage is always needed because we, we feel afraid and we have to step into it, that's courage, or we feel weak and we have to step into it, that's courage. We don't want to go to practice, but we have to step into it, that's courage. So, and just talk to them about David and how David, you know, it wasn't just uh, when he killed Goliath that, you know, he had practiced that with protecting sheep a boring job of protecting sheep, uh, taught him how to kill the Goliath when he had to kill uh, the wolf and the lion and the bear. And uh, it was just a really meaningful time. And then we put Javin in the middle and we all laid our hands on him and we each prayed for him and prayed these kind of character traits into him, prayed that he would desire manhood, that he would desire godly manhood. And um, I prayed and I got to say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased I thank God for him. Um, I kind of spoke that identity piece into him, pleasure into him. I was weeping. um, And it was just a meaningful, it was about 45 minutes. It was a, it was a powerful time. All the men were just on their A game and they just, it was just so, the the words they spoke were just so meaningful. And we're walking out and Javin looks at me and he's like, dad, I know which one's going to be the hardest. (laughs) I said, which one? He's like, compassion. <laughs> I said, yeah, bud, you're probably right. Just the way that he's wired, he's very intellectual, not very emotional. Um, and uh, it was, and he's been talking about it ever since. And I said, when he asked, when we were on the way there, he's like, am I going to like it or is it going to be fun? I go, no. Dad. 
And then we left and I said, well, um, I think his mom asked him later, well, did you enjoy it? He's like, yeah, I did. So it was weird because, I mean, it was not, I don't want to say weird, but there was nothing enjoyable about that you would think for a 12-year-old boy or a 13-year-old boy, you know? Um, it was men being men, speaking manly things into him. It was not fun. It was serious. It was godly. It was deep. Um, it was rich. And yet there was something in my son that deeply resonated with it. And he, and it was a meaningful moment. And I think, now I know my son is going to do dumb stuff and he's going to have, you know, he's going to be still be foolish and have some immaturity. But I think this rite of passage was important. Um, I think it was good. I think he'll look back on it. I think I can remind him of it. Even just having these five C's in my pocket, um, in the back of my mind, I can remind him of it in the future uh, when I need to call him to courage or call him to character or call him to compassion or call him to conviction or um, uh, call him to to competency. Um, and I think these are big hooks that I can hang things on for him in the future. So I would encourage you, if you've got a young, if you've got young boys, young girls, why don't you do this? Now, if you've got a 15-year-old, it's never too late. If you've got a 19-year-old, it's never too late to take them out and say, I didn't do this. If you're a 40-year-old and you need to do it, you need to have some men do it for you. I don't think it's too late. You can do that as well. Um, so I would say schedule this. Now, if you want my outline, if you want to, I thought about like getting all the guys and kind of getting what they said and kind of put it, putting together in kind of a liturgy and having that to offer. Um, if you would like that, I'd be willing to do that. Oh yeah. And then after I forgot, after we prayed for him and after we did all that, um, I gave him a pocket knife. He's, we have kind of, I started out with a tiny pocket knife, I think when he was 10 or something. And then the last couple of years, he's got a Swiss army knife. He's been responsible with those little knives. So this is a, a really nice pocket knife, um, that flips out. That's, that's, uh, it's a man's knife. And so I, I gave him that knife and it's a really cool knife and I knew he would really love it. And I just wanted to say, Hey man, um, I want to give you a token of manhood here. I want to give you something to remember this day by, you know, the coin that you can keep in your pocket to remind you of life and death, but also this knife. And I said, but if you do anything stupid with it, I will take it back. Um, that it's a privilege. So, uh, I think it's an, I think it was an important, more uh, important day, important, um, ritual in his life. I'm going to develop something different for, my daughters, uh, but I just wanted to offer that to you as uh, as a pastor, and as I know we've got a lot of young men in our church, and I think this is going to be uh, an important kind of right for them as they step into manhood, that we want to call our men um, to godly manhood, biblical manhood, we want to call, give them something to aim for, give them men to emulate, and we want them to hear, um, you're my son, I love you, I'm well pleased with you. So, that's it, guys. That's all I wanted to talk about today. Um, if this podcast is helping you at all, please like us and rate us on in the podcast app. That helps other people find us. Um, also, you could share it on Facebook or, or Instagram or wherever you could share it um, so other people, Sacred City members, uh, your friends, your family can hear about it. Um, I've actually never heard a podcast like this on um, a rite of passage and on this issue of uh, the boyhood crisis. And so I just thought it was important that we need to talk about. If you've got any questions or you want me to do a follow-up, more extensive review of the boyhood crisis book, I'd be willing to do that. Send me an email. Uh, thank you guys. Um, I love you. Do the thing on the, all the social medias and uh, I will talk to you soon. God bless. <laughs>